Chris, Chris, how does the toolbar come? It's not here. There it is. Okay, got it. Oh, got it. Cool. You got it? It's at the bottom. It just didn't pop up for a second. Okay. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Chris, 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 if we can make our way to our seats. Love the fellowship. We'll have a ton of time afterwards as well. have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We are studying the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to give you a little background as we jump into this book this morning. So, if you don't know, God made all things. He made everything, the heaven and the earth, in seven days. And he made man last as a pinnacle of his creation. It says that God made man in our image. Right? So we are in the image of God. However, because of sin, it wasn't long after he placed us in a beautiful garden, in a beautiful uh, relationship with one another and with the environment, we had sinned. We disobeyed God. We did what we wanted to do. And God cast us out of the garden and promised us death and cursing. So the relationship with God was severed between us and God. Between one another, the, the man and woman would fight, it says in Genesis. And with the environment, the, the ground would bring up thorns and thistles. And creation groans, as Paul say, with eager longings for the revealing of the sons of God. However, God loves us, and he promised to bring somebody to restore that relationship. And first he called a man called Abraham. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to make you part of my chosen people. I'm going to give you a nation of people who will worship me. And part of that promise was both a relationship with God, land, and a nation, even though he had no children, was barren. And, of course, God fulfills all his promises. So God gave him a son, and uh, the, another son after that, another son in the 12 tribes of Israel. However, they were quickly enslaved by the Egyptians. They were slaves. And God brought another man out by the name of Moses. He said, I'm going to send you to rescue my people from their slavery and bring you into the promised land I promised your father Abraham. And he did. He parted the Red Sea. He defeated them, brought them into the wilderness, and he gave him his rules, his commandments. Right? If you've seen Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, that's where God did that. In the wilderness. And actually, there's not just there's the ten, there's also 612 other laws that he gave his people. And those laws, he said, if you obey my word and obey my laws, you will have life, you will have prosperity, you will have joy, you will have the land forever. But if you disobey, if you have false gods, if you live for yourselves and not for me, I will scatter you among the nations. And then he called another man because the people wanted, their first experience, they wanted a king, even though God was their king. God gave them David as their first king, who was a great man who loved God, who was also a sinner. He was an adulterer. 
And he had a son named Solomon who built the temple for sacrifice because sin requires sacrifice. Because sin, disobedience to God, requires the death of an animal, which I've talked about that in the past. Because it showed that the heinousness, the ugliness of sin, blood had to be spilled. However, this Solomon was also a man who was wicked, who had 600 plus wives and concubines. And because of that, the, the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. Now, most of the kings were bad. However, in the northern kingdom, all the kings were bad. So God promised them judgment, and they'd be, they'd be taken by the Assyrians. This was in 721 B.C. The Assyrians came, destroyed the land, took them in as slaves. Now, because the southern kingdom had a few better kings, also many terrible kings in the southern kingdom, they had a little bit longer, but in, because of God's judgment, because they disobeyed God, they set up their own worship to Baals and false gods, God promised um, the Babylonians would come and take them and enslave them. This is in 605 B.C. And then there was a rebellion. So in 587, Nebuchadnezzar came back, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, burned the city, and anyone who survived were either slain or taken into, uh, into Babylon, outside a handful of the most poor, desperate people. So that leads us to Nehemiah, where we are. It's after all this happened. So if we can bring the slide up with the, um, the timeline in, in my... So Nehemiah is actually a, the, uh, a sequel to a prequel. In, the, in, the, in your Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah were separate books, but in the Hebrew Bible, there are one document. So Jeremiah promised that Babylon would be punished after seven years, 70 years, and the people would be brought back. And that's exactly what happened. The Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were taken over by the Persian Empire. And Ezra 1 through 6 talk about Zerubbabel. He, um, he was allowed by Cyrus the Great to rebuild the temple. The temple was destroyed. And then about 60 years later, later, in the second half of Ezra, another group of exiles were able to return. And Ezra was the first scribe who brought people back to the Torah, the, the God of the Bible, the, the, the laws and commandments that Moses had, because they had lost them. And then in um, Artaxerxes allowed Ezra to lead people back to Jerusalem and to Hesur Torah. And at the same time, is where Nehemiah steps in. Artaxerxes, the Persian king, who Nehemiah served as we'll see in the scriptures, he was, what I like about him is that he is neither a Torah scholar, he was not a king like Zerubbabel, he was just a regular guy, living his life, and God called him to something great. Just a guy who prayed and God answered. So let's read it, starting in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. 
Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants that I now pray before you day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and, uh, and the rules that you commanded your serv servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, what I just talked about. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the power of your servants and to the prayer, as the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So about three years ago, my dad got cancer and he got sick and he died and I went to the funeral and after I went to the funeral just during COVID um, I got stuck out of the country and my wife and my kids were here and I was in America living with my mom and it was a long time to be with. it actually ended up being five months I kept thinking they were going to change the rules and let people come back on the plane and I'm not the only one who's had this experience. I've talked to many people. They were stuck. I was stuck. And it was actually after about five months of like hoping that things would change, they didn't change. And my wife said, we're just going to come to you. So they flew and they met me. And I always wanted to know, was, when it was happening, I wanted to know, what is God doing by this? Like, why would God not let me return to my family? But I think one of the things God was teaching me through that time, because as those who have kids know, life is super busy. And being away from my kids, I was able to grieve my father, and I was able to comfort my mom during this really difficult time, and to pray for her, and spend time with her, and encourage her. And this is kind of my big idea, and this is not just for me, but if you look at, in this passage here, you see a lot of tears, a lot of crying, a lot of mourning. Right, for what had happened. So my big idea is this, that difficult circumstances should cause us to mourn, fast, and pray to God. Difficult circumstances 
should cause us to mourn fast and pray to God. So first of all, there's trials and difficulties. We live in a time of great upheaval. There's global wars. There's in incredible inflation. There's oppression happening here and abroad. People are looked down upon. People are treated as garbage, even here in Kuwait. And this is not a dissimilar life from Nehemiah. Right? He was living as an exile, far away from his people, living in a life of shame, a life of being a second-class citizen. There was inflation going on also in the Persian Empire during this time. There was oppression. He was oppressed. Other people were oppressed. Now, personally, especially his people, right now, if you saw at the end of that chapter, he was cut bare to the king. So he personally had a good job, right? It's a pretty good job. Probably not a lot of hard labor. You're just tasting the things. So if they're not poison, you give them to the king. That was his job. So pretty high-level job, like many of us in here. Right? Many of us have decent jobs that pay us well, and the life is not too uncomfortable. However, he learns about his, his people, the Jews, the exiles. They are in trouble. These survivors who survived the Babylonians, who survived um, Zerubbabel bringing some people back and Ezra bringing some people back, they're not doing great, right? In a sense, trouble and shame they are feeling, right? With a foreign empire ruling far away, they've got enemies. They are impoverished. Their pride and refuge is destroyed, right? If you think of, we think of today like, okay, so what's, what's the big deal about the city wall and the city gates being burned? In our society, we don't, we don't use that because the rule of law is what? we abide by. But in those days, your safety and your security was inside the gates of the city. That's how you were protected. That's how you were safe. That's where rules existed. But outside the city, it's, it's no man's land. It's prison rules, right? There are no rules. It's anarchy. So for these people, the city wall was their protection. It was their safety. It was their refuge. And it was destroyed. Destroyed by the Babylonians. It says the gates, the gates were open, right? So anybody could come in, any animal could come in, hurt them, kill them. Inside the city is law. It'd be like if we lived today, if you were dropped into Somalia or Yemen, you would not be safe because there is no rule of law there. There is no protection. There is no safety. There's danger everywhere. That's how these people were feeling. That's how the Jews were feeling. This is what Nehemiah learns. And in shame, in, in that culture, in like some cultures here, it's a, it's a shame and honor culture. Shame and honor were everything. And shame, like honor, were, in those cultures, a limited resource. You could not get, you could not get an unlimited amount of it. And this caused them, so it caused the whole group, the whole society of God's people, what's left of them, to feel shame because they were ostracized, they were alone, right? They were not being helped by anybody. So the only way to reverse the shame is to rectify it, 
to give them honor in this area. And even though the temple was somewhat repaired, and if, you, if you go back to Ezra, you'll see that even those who saw the repaired temple, um, the old men who knew the old temple, they wept when they saw the new temple because it wasn't as nice, it wasn't as good. The people were somewhat worshiping God. Ezra brought the Torah reading back to the people. But some people were, were, were living their own lives, not, not perfectly. But their lands, which is part of God's promise, their land, their city, Jerusalem is the capital city of the southern kingdom, right? Was in shame and, and destroyed, right? Because when God promised, God promised the people land, and Jerusalem was the capital city, which that was where everyone lived, inside the city for safety. The northern kingdom, they got wiped out. Those tribes are gone. They mixed with the people. So all that's left is these two tribes in the southern kingdom, and they're in big trouble. They're shamed. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means a lot for us because we also have things in our life that are difficult, that are hard, that are challenging. Many of us do. Or maybe not. Maybe your life is easy. Your life is going to be a cupbearer, like Nehemiah, but other people you see are suffering. You don't have to live long here to see it, okay? unless you live with your eyes closed. You see people suffering, people making barely survivable wages. There's plenty of injustice in Kuwait and around the world. Plenty of injustice. Now my question is, are we aware of this? What's happening? Are we, do we have compassion? Do we think about other people, right? Nehemiah's life was okay. He could have been like, mm, not my problem. I'm cupbearer. I'm doing very well. But no, he had tons of compassion on these people. So I want to ask you, make sure as we're living here, as we see things happening, don't bury your head in the sand. I know life is busy. We have a million things to do. But we can often miss what God has for us. God might have us talk to somebody or pray for somebody or give to somebody that if we're full speed ahead, we're, we're going to miss that. Right? We're just going to miss opportunities that God has for us. There are hard things in this world. This world is broken by sin, as I said. So I want to, I want to encourage you to see the hardship. Some of us, we want to look away. But this is not what Nehemiah did. He did not look away. He heard the reports, and he, he, he felt it. Are you feeling it? Or is there shame in your life? Is there, is there something in your life that you feel shame for? Shame still exists in our culture today. Sometimes it manifests itself as guilt. You feel guilty. Do we hide that? Or do we share it? I would encourage you to share it, to talk to somebody. If there's something in your life that you feel guilty or shameful, come clean with it so God can give you peace. If you try to hold it, it will come out at inopportune times. So see the reality, even the eternal reality that we live in. Right? Maybe your life is good physically, but spiritually, you know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe our relationship with Jesus is really stagnant. 
I've never read my Bible in months. I've not prayed in weeks. So you need to look at the things in your life and decide, okay, what is, is there an area of my life that's difficult or shameful? And other people, are they suffering and I'm not having opportunities to interact with them, to engage with them, to love them, to give to them, to spend time with them? We need this. So, Nehemiah encountered trials and difficulties. Second, he mourned and fasted. So once he saw this, he, he listened to the report of his brother. He's like, oh, this is real bad. And it produced a response in him, an emotional response. Right? He knew that his people had this shame and this trouble, this difficult. Their lives were hanging out there. They were... They were it could easily be killed by anybody. So he wept and he mourned. The reality led to an emotion, to a feeling. And he said for days this happened. When was the last time we, we grieved and we mourned for days on end? Nehemiah did not hold it back. He let it, he let it come for days. He didn't deny it, but he leaned into his feelings. And not only did he weep and mourn for days, he also fasted. Fasting is where you refrain from food or some other thing to lean into God. Because we can often easily numb ourselves with the, the good things in this life. Right? Food is, is an easy comfort in all of us, right? You're just ready for dinner, ready for a snack. Okay? It's a numbing thing. So when you fast, you're saying, I'm denying myself these physical things so I can lean into the spiritual things that God has for me. So this is what Nehemiah did. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm mourning and I'm weeping and I'm fasting. I'm not going to eat anything. So I can really feel this. So I'm not going to turn away from this. I'm going to lean into it. So it's saying no to something like food or sex or relaxation and say yes to God. God, you are, you, are, you are real. Even though you're not physical, you are, you are real. And I'm leaning into you, Lord. He's not doing the numbing thing. He's saying yes to God. I was just reading this morning. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians that the, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? This is what fasting means. You're saying, I don't get to enjoy this physical thing, but I'm going to enjoy the, the eternal thing, which is God. So my question is, do you feel the brokenness in and around you? Are you feeling something? Not just knowing something. Knowing is one step, right? It's up here. But are we feeling it? In and around us. There, if there's brokenness in us, if there's shame, if there's trouble in our lives... Maybe we acknowledge it intellectually, but we don't feel anything. We say, oh, I'll, just, I'll just push through it. And the other people, okay, you might know things are bad. There's people that are struggling, that things are difficult, but are you feeling nothing? Do you weep for people who are suffering in Kuwait or beyond in your home? We all have something that we could 
connect emotionally to. Your spiritual state. In this country, 99% of the locals are Muslim. And of the, all the people, over 70% are Muslim. And if they don't find Jesus, if they don't connect with Jesus in a meaningful, real way as their Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity apart from him. Do you feel that? Not just up here, but in here. Often I do not. I'm, up here I know this. But sometimes I don't always feel that. It's like, well, they made their choices. No, it's not true. Many don't know him. I taught, I taught for over 12 years at the last university I was at, and I would always, several semesters, I would teach The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, which is an allegory to Jesus dying on the cross. Like Aslan was killed and he rose again. And I would always ask my students, like, have you ever heard of this, like, in religion, about a man dying for his people and coming back? No one had any idea. They had no clue. They, sorry, my phone's on. I gotta turn it off. It's embarrassing. Um, they had no clue, no understanding of who God was, of who, what Jesus did. Never heard of him. And I even explained it several semesters, and they still didn't understand. This is what Jesus did for me, or at least what Christians say Jesus did for them. Had no understanding. This is the state of most people in this country. They don't know, they don't even have an idea to know, most of them, to know Jesus. So do you feel that? Jesus made a way, but he made one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what, that's what he did when he took our punishment on the cross. That's the, that is the way. God made a way. That's the celebratory thing, but that's the only way. Not by doing good works. But are we moving through fast, moving through life so fast that we're not connecting with any of that? We're just doing our thing. I've got my job to do. I've got my work to do. Go home and come with my family and then go to bed. <clears throat> it's super easy to do. I do it all the time. I have to stop and slow down. And are you doing that? And are you fasted? When things are going rough, when you're feeling something, or are you just numbing yourself out on food or Netflix or whatever it is, binging on the next thing in your life? We all—I admit—I struggle with this because it—I like the things that feel good. We all do, but Nehemiah, his example shows: no, when things are rough, lean into the feelings and then out fast. Fasting is, is a principle that Jesus expects us to do. He says, when you fast, fast like this in private and before the Lord. But it's not if you fast. So consider if there's something in your life that's broken that needs to be mended, fasting is a good way to lean into God, spend extra time with Him. Amen? So consider that. And then finally, pray earnestly to God. Nehemiah hears the news. It breaks his heart, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. And we see a glimpse of this prayer here. This prayer has several components, right? If you look at verse 5, he adores God for who he is. 
even in front of me. He's the great and awesome God, showing his steadfast love. This is the, this is the Hebrew chesed, which means loving kindness, faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, mercifulness. All those things are wrapped up in this word. He said, you are this God. That's the first thing he says. He adores God for who he is before he asks for anything. He says, God, you are great. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. All the good in this world comes from you. And then he, in verse 6 and 7, he asks God to listen to his confession. And he confesses sins of first his nation. My people are a wicked people. He's not saying, why did you do this to me, God? And of course, we have questions. But he says, no, we... We, we made a mistake as a people. We did not follow your rules. And I'm confessing this before you, Lord, right now. He says, even my father's house and myself, I have sinned. Now it's getting real personal. Talk about his, his family and himself. He says, I have also sinned and not kept your rules. Not kept the commandments. And then verse 8 and 9, he pleads based on his word, which he wrote to Moses. He knew this. He knew his Bible. He says, you promised that if we repent, even if we're scattered across the world, God, that you will bring us back together. So he prays based on his word. And he thanks God for his faithfulness to his people. And then finally, in verse 10 and 11, he asks God to remember them. He asks God to listen and hear those who are suffering in the, exile, in the exile, who are back in Jerusalem. He asks for success to his prayer and a way forward. And if you look at sneak peek chapter 2, it's actually months later before something happens. These Hebrew months. It's not like the next, sent, the next sentence God immediately answered his prayer. No, he was praying for months for God to do something. So how do we pray? Sometimes we think God is a pinata and prayer is a stick. And if I just keep hitting that, that candy will come out in my life. That's not how God works. We also can follow his pattern, Nehemiah's. Do we acknowledge who God is when we start our prayer? God, you are great. You are wonderful. I worship you for who you are and your majesty and your glory and your beauty. He is God. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. He has unlimited power. He... I love my kids, and I've told this many times. I love them so much, but I've run out of mental and physical resources. So as I said, just go to bed. I'm done. God is not like that. God has unlimited resources to love you and care for you. We should worship God for that first. So we need to adore him because we have a, it's a relationship. Right? We have a relationship with God and we're loving him for who he is. Just like any relationship. You appreciate the people in your life. And we appreciate God because he is... He is like no human, right? He will never fail us. He'll never let us down. We're worshiping him first. And then we also need to confess sin in our lives. Now, 
as Protestants, we don't confess to a priest, but it's, it's not bad to confess to people. But first we confess to God. We say, God, I have failed in this area. We all have, we're all sinners, so there's always sin in our lives. So it could be an opportunity to confess something that you want to change. So he confesses his sin, and we should confess our sin to God. We want something to change, so his confession needs to come first. You know, many people, you know, I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see miracles. I want to see, see the gifts being used. I want to see people raised from the dead, as Jesus said, and healed. But if you are living in a life of unconfessed sin, the Spirit of God cannot work in you to do that. Right? Jesus went um, into the wilderness to face temptation with the Holy Spirit, and he came out defeating Satan in the power of the Spirit. So if God has to work, the Spirit has to work in you before he can work through you. And confession is how we do that. Maybe there's things you know, maybe your relationship with money is broken, or the amount you work, or your relationships, your spouse, your kids. Maybe you're not listening to people. What needs to be confessed? Now, you know you, and your family knows you better than I do. So what in your life maybe needs to be confessed? Ask God to listen. Use his word. That's the, the beauty of the word I talked about last week, when it's full of God's promises. And Nehemiah taps into that. He says, you promise that if you, we repent, we confess our sin, you will bring us back together. And we need to do this as well. And he thanks him for his mercy and his steadfast love. And then he asks for his need. And sometimes it's not a single prayer and God opens all the doors right away. Sometimes he does. Single prayer is out. Sometimes it takes time, a season of praying. We call this the ACTS prayer. This is an acronym. It stands for Adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which means asking. So this is this is a great model. Now I'm not into formulas. There's no formula, like I said, it's not a pinata. God's not a pinata. But this is a great way to, as we pray, to talk to him, to adore him first, to confess any sin in our lives, to thank him for all he's done in you, and then to ask for your need. That will give you it's a great template for praying. Now, in conclusion, Nehemiah, like when, I, when my dad died, I wept, and I had the opportunity to weep and pray and mourn and encourage my mom. And there are things in your life which are hard, which are difficult. Maybe you lost somebody. Maybe your job is horrible. Maybe your relationship with your spouse is not good, or your children are struggling. What are those things? What do you bring before the Lord? And if your life is not super hard right now, if you're on a mountaintop, you can still look around and see other people. How can I encourage them? How can I love them? How can I give to them? The suffering around you. Ben, if you can come up. Don't numb yourself. Don't choose ignorance. Okay? If there's things in your life that are bad, or other people, lean into it. When you are in trials or difficulties, it's okay to feel them. Yeah? Especially for us men, right? It's okay to feel things. Right? It's good for us to feel things as well. 
And we should mourn and we should weep for ourselves or other people. It says elsewhere to, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. See the needs and suffering and even the lostness. This is a place full of lost people in Kuwait. Maybe it's a time to fast or to give up something to draw close to God. I want to I encourage my coworkers and lead them to Jesus. That's a great time to fast. That's a big deal. And then pray like Nehemiah. Recognize God as king of the universe. The relationship with him. That's about a relationship with him. And we've all sinned. And if you are a Christian, you've confessed any patterns of sin in your life. Now, we all sin every day. But if there's patterns, things that you can't overcome, those need to be confessed especially to God. Ask for change. If you're not a Christian, see me. But Jesus wants you to give your life over to him by confessing him as the Lord and Savior of our lives and that he did die on the cross and rose again for my sin. So I can have his righteousness, not based on what I do. Thank God for his kindness once you've confessed and then ask for your needs. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. If we stand up on our feet, please, while we're praying, let's stand up. God, this world is broken. And there's brokenness in my life. There's brokenness in our lives. There's brokenness in the lives of all those around us. I pray that you'd help us to see these things. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to feel what we need to feel and to act the way we need to act, not just to ignore or numb ourselves, but to engage with the things in our life that are broken and the, and the brokenness in other people's lives. And we do that through prayer. God, we so often, I so often want to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and do the hard work. If I just push hard enough, I can make things happen. But no, Nehemiah prayed, and we are praying to you, God. We pray to you right now that you would relieve the brokenness in our lives, that you'd help other people, because you can have power to do what we can never do. You can change hearts. You can change minds. You can give us promptings to when to speak and when not to speak. So, God, I ask you that you'd help us to do this, and that we pray in a way that pleases you through adoring who you are by confessing our sin by thanking you and then asking for our needs, God. God, we pray you because we know that you answer prayer, that you are in our lives, that you are working in us. Even when things are impossible for us, nothing is impossible for you, God. Please bless us the rest of this day. We ask for these things in your great name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Oh, 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God, I'm also going to pray for the food. God, thank you for this food that we're able to enjoy. Thank you for the pizzas that are on their way. Bless it. Bless the conversations. Bless the food. Bless the fellowship. We ask for this in your great name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I just want to, you're dismissed, go in peace, but please feel free to hang around. The pizzas will be here in just a couple minutes. They're on their way. Enjoy some pizza. we got 12, so you got to eat something. Don't just run out the doors. Greet somebody. Say hi to somebody. We have drinks and pop and snacks. And just enjoy this time. Amen? Take a balloon if you want. Don't be afraid to get your kids as well when you're ready. Amen. <laughs>